Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. Vintage Church is a movement of truth, love, and community. For more information, visit VintageChurchNola.com. Here is this week's message. Well, good morning. Man, was that not excellent? Just now, can we give it up for our music arts team? Dang. I don't even know what to say or how to follow that up. That was good. Welcome. Sorry, that's just me being weird, you know, but just that's how it is sometimes. Welcome to Vintage Church. If I've never met you before, my name's Dustin Turner, serve as the lead pastor of Vintage. We are continuing our series that we call Can't Stop, Won't Stop. I don't know if you were here last week. Pastor John kicked off the series. He did a little bit something that I just want to get us prepared for. Can't stop. Oh, there we go. Can't stop. Can't stop. That's right. So we're going to be in the book of Hebrews. If you want to turn there, Hebrews chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, lift up your hand. Our Connect team would love to get you a copy of God's Word as our gift from us to you. So we've been in this, we've just started this series. This is a series that we're going to be in here and there for the next kind of year and a half. We're going to go three or four weeks, take a break, and then do something else, and then come back into it. And so Literally, we're going to be looking at the book of Hebrews over the next uh, year and a half or so as we dig into this book. And, you know, how many of you, as we, as we think about this, this chapter, we're going to be in verses 1 through 4 this morning. How many of you love the ocean? Oh, yeah, yeah. My, my family and I are going to get away for a couple days during Mardi Gras when hopefully, you know, we're able to uh, sit on the beach and relax and hang out. How many of you would say you're knowledgeable about the ocean? Like you understand, you know, the fears and the dangers and those sorts of things. Yeah. So a few years ago, this is about two or three years ago, my family and I with my in-laws took a vacation to Pensacola Beach. And we're, we're at the beach and I've, I've had some interesting experiences at the beach. Like one time, Rachel and I, uh, we went to the beach for our anniversary and we were like, eh, forget about sunscreen, you know, just, you know, we'll just do a little spray on, you know. We, we, you know, we got done with that first day, and we literally couldn't move. You ever gotten so sunburnt that when you take a shower, you have to, like, run into the water and then run out of the water because it hurts so bad? Yeah, so that's, these are the kinds of mistakes that I make when I go to the beach. Well, this, this last time that we went with our family, you know, we were swimming, and I was feeling a little bold. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm going to go out there a little bit, you know, so we were going out and I was swimming and I'm just hanging out on this little raft thing and I'm floating and hanging out and it's a beautiful day and all of a sudden I look back and the beach is, it looks like miles away and I'm like, what has just happened? Well, I was caught in a riptide. Anybody ever been in one of those? Yeah, not, it's not fun. So I'm thinking, okay, here, I got, no, don't panic, Dustin, don't panic, just swim back. So I started to swim back. Every time I'd make it a little bit, I got pushed back out farther. And then I would swim back. And then they'd push me back again. And literally, at this point, I'm exhausted. Like, I'm not, you know, I feel like I'm in pretty good shape. I might not look it. I'm not a swimmer. So I'm, I'm, I'm stressed. I'm starting to kind of freak out here. Like, I don't think I can swim anymore. My family's on the beach, and I'm like this. You know, come and get me. And they're like, and I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm not waving at you. I need help. Come and get me. So literally, my, my brother-in-law and my father-in-law jump in the water. So I don't know how far they swam. Swam and like carried me back to the beach. 
And I literally, all, I mean, I'm not kidding you, like a minute and a half, two minutes more, I would not have been able to swim anymore. And that, that riptide carried me out. I was drifting out into the ocean. And, and here's the thing, if, if maybe you've experienced that before, but I think for so many of us in life, that is what happens to us in our faith. That if we're not careful, right, we're living life, we're having a good time, things seem to be fantastic. We're out on the ocean and we're, we're just going out, it's a beautiful view, and before we know it, we've drifted away. And if we don't have someone there to grab us and bring us back or an anchor that might help us stay put in one place, we're going to drift away. And in the book of Hebrews, and specifically here in Hebrews 2, verses 1 through 4, that's what the author is trying to get to us. The message that he's trying to share with us, that there is a danger for you and I of drifting away from our faith. And that if we're not careful, that's what's going to happen. And so let's look at these four verses together this morning. Starting in verse 1, Hebrews 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution... How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will." Now, before we look at specifically this passage, I want to I remind you of some things that we talked about last week, because this is really important. So the book of Hebrews is an interesting book in that it's really more like a sermon. Yes, it's a, a letter written to a church, but it's like a sermon that was written to a church that was to be read out loud to the congregation. So there's thought behind this. There, there's an argument that the writer is trying to make. Right? So when you read the book of Hebrews, what you're going to find is the author goes back and forth between exposition or explaining something and exhortation or an encouragement or a challenge. And so last week, when we were here last week in chapter 1, Pastor John unpacked for us why we've got to keep moving forward because of Jesus. And what the author in the book of Hebrews is doing there is what he's saying is, listen, he's, he's giving an explanation of who Jesus is and why Jesus matters. And now, here in chapter 2, in verses 1 through 4, he's giving the exhortation. He's giving the encouragement or the challenge. So that's kind of the pattern that we're going to see in the book of Hebrews. That's important for us today to understand. Because right here, in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 2, there's a challenge that the author wants us to see, that he wants us to hear, that he wants us to listen to. And what's important, if you go back and you look in the very beginning, verses 1 and 2, I'm going to read these just briefly for you. This is, this is the, the, the beginning point of what he's trying to say in chapter 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Verse 2, but in these last days... He has spoken to us by his son. 
Now that is important because he's just talked about in all of chapter 1, Jesus, and now he's saying there's a message that you have heard. And that message comes from Jesus. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. The first thing that I want us to see this morning begins in verse 1, that this is what the author is challenging us to do. Commit to the gospel. He's challenging us to commit to the gospel. Look at verse 1. He says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we do what? Okay, here's the participation part. Lest we do what? Drift away from it. There's always a little bit of participation, right? Pay close attention lest we drift away. And what's interesting is the language that the author is using is, is a lot of nautical language. It's a lot of, it's a lot of you know, thinking about ships and the water and the ocean. This idea of paying close attention to. The, the idea carries this. It's to hold a ship toward port or to hold sure and steadfast. It's like an anchor. Right, So when I was talking about me being out at the ocean, just continuing to drift back and forth, if something would have been holding me down, right, if I would have had an anchor, then I wouldn't have been drifting. And what the author is talking about here is, listen, you've got to be very careful. You have to pay attention. You have to be firm and steadfast, lest... You drift away. Drifting away is, again, another nautical term. It's like a ship that's not anchored, and it's supposed to be in port, but because there's no anchor, it just goes out to sea. You see this imagery that the author is laying down for us. He's showing us that we have to commit ourselves to the gospel. You know, drifting for me, when I think about drifting, I think about driving to a new place without a GPS. Anybody ever done that before? You think, maybe, maybe you've been there before, and you're like, I've been there before, I don't need my GPS. And you don't turn your GPS on, and literally, we were talking about this in our, in our, with our leadership this week, and they were like, yeah, that happened to me one time, and then three hours later, we were somewhere else. I'm like, three hours later? Did you not have a map? Right, but I mean, when, when, you don't, when you don't have a, an idea of where you're going or you think you have an idea, but you don't have directions, you're going to begin to drift. For you and I, this is, what, this is what the author of Hebrews is reminding us about, that there's a danger. Everything that was said in chapter 1 about who Jesus is and the significance of Jesus, there's a danger of drifting away from Jesus. And that's what he's referring to when he says, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Right, so these people, they're not ignorant of the truth. They're not ignorant of the reality of Jesus. They've heard the gospel, right? They've been reminded, they know of who Jesus is. It might refer back to Mark 1, verses 14 through 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming what? Oh, you guys are going to have a lot of work to do today. Proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the... There we go. 
Or in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 5, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. Right? This is the message of the Gospel. This is what the church had heard. And what the author of Hebrews is reminding them is saying, listen, you know this message, right? And if, if you know the gospel, I mean, it's such a basic, simple message that you and I, that we are broken in sin and need of forgiveness to be reconciled to God, that Jesus, God sent Jesus to earth, put on flesh, died on the cross, resurrected from the grave, and that if you repent and believe, you will be saved. That's the, the, the gist of the gospel, such a basic message. But what the author is, is reminding them is, listen, you can't drift away from that. For some of us, I think the challenge, I've said this before, that sometimes when we talk about the gospel, it's just like, okay, that's fantastic. I know that. Can you tell me something else? Can you give me something a little deeper? For so many of us, Paul, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, the, the author of Hebrews is saying, listen, if you walk away from this truth, it doesn't matter what else you know. This is, this is the core of every single thing you believe. This is the core of which you should rest your life on. Right? I mean, you, you catch that, right? He's not talking about drifting away from anything else. He's not, he's not necessarily worried that they might believe in this kind of minor thing or they might not be doing this minor thing. But he's saying, listen, if you lose sight of this core belief, there's danger in that. The challenge for you and I is, for, for number one, for those who are familiar with this gospel, that you would recognize your need for it. Right? Some of us, the reality is this. Yes, the author is calling us to commit to the gospel, but we're being reminded that there's never come a moment or point in our life at which we've actually done that thing that we've never really committed to the gospel. The Bible is very simple about this, that we would simply turn from our sins, that we would recognize our need for a Savior, and in faith recognize that Savior as Jesus and turn and trust Him. I mean, you catch that, right? In this passage, it's not just mere belief. Belief is important. What you believe about Jesus is, is absolutely essential. Who Jesus is is important, but it's more than just mere belief. It would be that you would commit your life to this. It's not just enough to know the right things about Jesus, but that your life, the trajectory of your life would be different because you follow Jesus. The challenge for some of us is that for the first time, we need to commit our lives to Jesus, you know, repent of our sins, trust in Jesus for salvation. For some of us, we might be like this congregation that this letter is written to where things, the pressures of life are getting to us. There, there's challenges and we're just thinking, you know what, it might be better to simply walk away from the faith. For you and I, how do we then commit ourselves to the gospel? And here's the thing. Here's the reality that you need to know. Maybe right now in this moment, you're at a great place. 
and you would say to yourself, man, there would never be any reason that I would walk away. And so you're doing nothing to prepare yourself for what might come in life. Some of you, that thing has come and you're like, I'm out. How do you prepare yourself for what life might bring you? And then how do you find yourself when you're so far away coming back to the gospel? I want to remind you of a few things that for so many of us are so basic but so essential in life. How do we practically commit to the gospel? It's the spiritual disciplines. Things like, the, things like Bible reading and prayer that you would daily commit to reading the scriptures and praying to God, right? That's why we spend so much time talking about our F260 Bible reading plan. Because for some of you, the significant, the important part is just getting into the Bible, right? And listen, even when you don't want to read it, the challenge is read it because it will transform your life as you read. For some of you that are thinking about walking away, listen, I would just say this, God is big enough that he can handle what you bring to him. And so if you're not real happy with God right now, tell him about it. Listen to him. Hear from him. The significance of Bible reading and prayer. prayer, Discipleship. That's why we have life groups in the life of Vintage Church. Three to five men or three to five women focus on discipleship because we need to be having accountability. We need to be growing in our life. Community. That's why we have V groups here at Vintage. Ten to twenty people who meet regularly throughout the city for transformation, connection, and multiplication. Because when you're in community, you're not isolated. I'm telling you, when you isolate yourself, the only person that you're listening to is yourself. And either the enemy is in some of your thoughts telling you lies, or you just look around and the entire world is crumbling in around you. But when you're around community and around people who follow Jesus, they're able to encourage you and to challenge you to lift you up, to remind you, hey, you're thinking about drifting away. Don't do it. That's the power of community. Worship, Sunday morning gatherings. I'm just telling you right now, after what we just experienced, I mean, I could walk off and we could just sing all day. I need that. Some of you, you came in and you thought about, you're thinking about drifting away, you're thinking about leaving the gospel, and then we sing a song that he knows my name. And I'm just like, man, he he, he does know my name. He walks with me. He talks with me. He tells me I am his own. Who would want to walk away from that? And you know, the only reason that I'm reminded of that truth is because we just sang that song. And I'm encouraged in this moment where I feel like God might be distant or God might not be here, that God does love me. God does want me. God has my best in mind. It's the power of community and worship, serving. Our Serve NOLA ministries and our V teams. Listen, for some of us, it's being challenged. Part of our drifting away is to get outside of ourselves and serve other people. 
And as we serve other people, God encourages us. Evangelism, we've been talking about gospel conversations. If you're struggling to believe the gospel, remind yourself of the truth that every single person is broken and lost and in need of healing, including yourself. And then go and share that message. Because listen, when you're sharing that message, you're being reminded of that good news. That's the power, that's the power of the disciplines. And you know why they're called disciplines? Because they require discipline. Which everybody would say, I just love that. Right? Hear what Richard Foster in his book, Celebration of Discipline, says about the spiritual disciplines. He says this, picture a long, narrow ridge with a sheer drop-off on either side. The chasm to the right is the way of moral bankruptcy through human strivings for righteousness. It's whatever I can do to earn my, my, God's love for me. The chasm to the left is moral bankruptcy through the absence of human strivings. And none of this matters, who cares? I'm just going to live it up. On the ridge, there is a path, the disciplines of the spiritual life. This path leads to the inner transformation and healing for which we seek. We must never veer off to the right or to the left, but stay on the path. As we travel on this path, the blessing of God will come upon us and reconstruct us into the image of Jesus Christ. We must always remember that the path does not produce the change. It only places us where the change can occur. This is the path of disciplined grace. That's the power of the spiritual disciplines. That you, if you want God to change you, if you recognize the truth of being committed to the gospel, that you know that the gospel is the very thing that changed you and that the only way to experience that continual life transformation is to be in the path of the gospel. The way that you put yourself in the path of the gospel and remain committed to that gospel for the rest of your life is the spiritual disciplines. And it's what Eugene Peterson says, it's a long obedience in the same direction. That is what it looks like for you and I to be committed to the gospel. The gospel is the anchor that keeps us from drifting. So yes, we commit to the gospel, but why must we commit ourselves to the gospel. The second thing that I want you to see is in verse 2 and 3 because it saves. We commit ourselves to the gospel because it is the thing that saves us. Look at verse 2 in the beginning of verse 3. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape? if we neglect such a great salvation. Now, a little context there, because some of you are like, what in the world is he talking about? Right? There's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of Jewish understanding and metaphor in the book of Hebrews, because these were Jewish Christians. 
And tradition had it that the angels were the ones who delivered the law on Mount Sinai. So Moses goes up to the mountain to be with the Lord, and the angels bring the the Ten Commandments and all of the law. And what the author is saying is, listen, the angels brought this this message that was reliable, but if you broke the law, there was punishment. And so the warning that this author is bringing is, listen, if if God brought that message and there was danger, if you walked away from that, why would we neglect such a great salvation? Why would we neglect something that is so good for us? Right? How, I mean, I'm not going to ask. You don't have to answer this question. How many of you love to wear seatbelts? Some of you are like, uh-oh. I don't wear my seatbelt, right? Why would you do so? How many of you love to take your vitamins? Right? Why would you not take your vitamins? They're good for you. Right? I mean, I'm not asking you to do something crazy. We're just saying, do these good, I mean, it's like being a parent, right? I tell my kids to do things that are good for them, but they don't want to listen to me, right? Don't play in the street, Gabe. Don't run out to cars. For some reason, what does he want to do? He wants to run toward the street and play with the cars. That's not a good thing. And the offer of Hebrews is reminding us, listen, do not neglect such a good thing in your life. What does it look like? What does it mean to neglect such a great salvation? It's like putting off the things you know you need to do, but you just don't want to do. Getting that oil change. How many of you are at like 10,000 miles now and you need an oil change? That's not good, by the way, just so you know. Right? And the problem about not getting your oil changed is you can go for a while. But sooner or later, if you don't get your oil changed, your car is going to die. We put off the good things. Neglect, the idea of neglecting such a great salvation, it carries this idea of neglect through apathy or just simply not caring about something. Look at what Jesus says in in Matthew 13. Matthew 13, verses 18 through 23, it's the, the parable of the sower that Jesus explains. And I think this is so critical for us in understanding neglecting a great salvation. He says, hear then the parable of the sower. Verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This was what was sown along the path. Verse 20, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. The point that that Jesus is trying to make is, listen, for for you and I who share, it's our responsibility to simply share the gospel. But I think the challenge related to the book of Hebrews is, look at your circumstances. If If you've recently come to faith in Jesus, be very careful 
If you've just been baptized, be very careful because what could happen in your life? You have that good news, you have the gospel, but if you're not committed to that gospel, if you're not doing the things that are required to make make that commitment a reality in your life, what's going to happen is the cares of the world are going to come in and choke out the gospel. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen that happen in people's lives where the emotion of coming to faith in Jesus is incredible. They're they're so excited because they, they see and they know what Jesus has done for them. But when reality sets in, when rubber meets the road, it gets tough. And all of a sudden, what they begin to think is that the gospel, this good news that has saved them, can't get them out of that. And what Jesus is encouraging, what the author of Hebrews is reminding us is, listen, commit yourself to the gospel because it saves. And you have to be careful to not neglect such a great salvation. Two authors say this about these warnings or exhortations in the book of Hebrews that I think are important for us to understand. He says this, Warnings and admonitions function to extend the initial call of the gospel on throughout our lives, relentlessly calling us to be faithful to Jesus Christ. And as road signs always pointing out the narrow pathway to salvation, but also clearly marking the wide road to destruction. They go on to say this. He says, while God assures the end, that is deliverance, salvation. This is so important for you and I. The end will not be realized apart from the means remaining in the ship. That's that's the point of these warnings. Is that it would be a reminder of all that we have in Jesus. Look, go back. If you weren't here last week, go back and listen to the sermon. Go back and read Hebrews 1. Jesus is superior to all things. And because of that, we can trust in this salvation that God has given us. Therefore, why would we neglect such a good thing in our lives? the challenge to not neglect to see these warnings as this is what god is going to do for us therefore we can't stop we can't stop we can't stop that's the point we cannot forget the salvation that we have in jesus In life, you wouldn't or you wouldn't want to walk away from a sure, good thing. Why would you want to walk away from Jesus? So we commit to the gospel because it saves. But the last thing that I want us to see this morning is that we also commit to the gospel because it's trustworthy. Look at the end of verse 3 into verse 4. The writer says this, It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. And the the point 
that the author of Hebrews is trying to make is, listen, is that this is a message. This is a truth that you can trust. That this isn't just something that you heard, and yes, there's a lot of people that are doubting it, but maybe you should doubt. No, there's firm reason to trust the message of the gospel. And the first thing that he says, the first reason to trust the message is Jesus himself declared it. Right? He goes back to the, the point of do not, do not drift away from the thing that you've heard. Because Jesus came on earth and actually declared that message. That he, would, that he would go to Jerusalem, that he would die, but that he would stay dead for three days, but then be resurrected from the grave, and those who are in him would have life. Jesus himself said that. That's not fake news. That was a joke. No one thought that was funny, I guess. Right? If, it's, if it came from Jesus' mouth, it's real. Sorry, that was probably too political. We can trust the message because it came from Jesus. But then they're like, listen, okay, if, you, if, you, if you're struggling to believe that, there were eyewitnesses who testified to this, who heard this message. Right? I mean, we're, the book that we're reading, the New Testament, th these were men, these were women that who had heard, they had seen Jesus. Go read 1 John 1. John is writing to an audience of people who had never seen the earthly Jesus. And what John says is we are testifying about what we have heard, about what we have seen, and about what we have touched reminding them that Jesus was here and that he had been seen by these men and these women. And what the author of Hebrews is reminding us about is, listen, these are eyewitnesses. Like You're reading these books. You're hearing these. You know some of these people who knew Jesus. And you, you like them. You trust them. If they are trustworthy, the gospel can be trustworthy. But if Jesus isn't enough, if the eyewitnesses aren't enough, I love this last piece in verse 4, it's that God verified it. Jesus declared it, eyewitnesses confirmed it, but God verified it. Literally, that word is a, is a, is a courtroom word. It's like God provided corroborating evidence to say, we have this, but let me give you this strong evidence to prove to you that this can be trusted. There were signs and there were wonders and miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. So if you didn't believe, you saw these miracles. You've seen what God has done in our midst. If the gospel isn't true, then how could all of these things have happened? And so the, the author is reminding us, commit to the gospel because it saves you and it can be trusted. Here's the thing about Christianity and about religion. And I, if we lined up everybody in this room, there are things, right, about Christianity that we would debate. Whether it's a different denomination or a different sect of Christianity, whether we believe this about the church or we believe that about the church or any sort of these sorts of things. There are countless debates, right? But the, the one thing that we can hold firm to, regardless 
of what we believe about all of the other stuff is the truth of the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that brings us life. My encouragement to you, if you're searching, is don't get caught up in all of the other questions. Because the central issue is what are you going to make of the gospel? Do you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? If you can believe in that, commit your life to it. Because that message can be trusted. Why would we neglect or drift away from something that can be trusted? We wouldn't, right? We talked about our seatbelts, which some of you I know don't wear. Why would we not wear a seatbelt when it can save our lives? Why would we not take our vitamins when they're good for us? Why would we drift away or neglect such a great salvation? This morning, as we close, I want to challenge us with three questions that I want you to think about as we respond. Number one, will you commit to the gospel? For some of us, that means for the first time, trusting in Jesus, recognizing your need for salvation, and turning to him and asking for forgiveness. For some of us, it's being reminded, okay, we're believers, but we're not putting in place the things that are going to protect us from drifting away. So how will you commit to the gospel? Number two, will you not neglect the gospel? Be careful that in your life, things will come that will challenge you to walk away and neglect the gospel. How will you protect yourself to not neglect the gospel? And lastly, will you trust the gospel? Will you look at the truth of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and say, I can commit to the gospel because that truth can be trusted. We commit to the gospel because it saves and it's trustworthy. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for such a great salvation. God, for every single one of us, I pray this morning that our lives would be about committing ourselves to the gospel. God, whether we're lost and we're seeking and we know we need something, God, I pray that today would be that moment of salvation when we commit ourselves to the gospel for the first time or maybe we've been a Christian for a very long time and we're struggling to drift or neglect that gospel. God, that today would be an opportunity for us to recommit to the gospel, to fill our lives with the things that we know we need, that we might not drift, that we might not neglect the gospel. And so help us this morning as we respond to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <laughs>